We're not waiting for a temporary reign. It is now. And so this now millennial, sometimes called amillennial, is a position that really fits into the whole scheme of things. And thirdly, it does justice to Scripture's statement of a single return of the Lord, encompassing the judgment of the wicked and the gathering of the saints. Well, I don't need to say too much more on that. We've really looked at that from a number of angles already. And uh, if the Lord is reigning now, if we're in the uh, millennium period now, then there's only one coming to expect. Thank you for joining us here at Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of our Free Presbyterian Church. Today we let the Bible speak on the millennium. You will read of this in Revelation chapter 20. And as you will learn, that's the only chapter where you will read of a thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus. You will not read of it in the Gospels, nor in the Epistles, nor in the Old Testament, but that number 1,000 is given in one chapter only. That should, that should carry weight with us as we think of the whole body of truth concerning the information concerning the return of the Lord Jesus. How should that be interpreted. That's going to be the message today as we deal with the millennium. Stay tuned with us as we turn now to our free Presbyterian pulpit. So, as the Lord conducted his ministry, as he empowered his disciples, and then right up to Pentecost, which was the, the beginning of the explosion of evangelism, not just to Israel, but to the whole world, Satan was bound. And our Lord at the cross spoiled principalities and powers, destroyed Satan further, and set men free. And so this binding of Satan in Revelation 20 verse 3 can quite logically, quite consistently with other parts of the Bible be interpreted as the devil was restrained at the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And until he returns again, Satan is bound. And in that way, the Lord is in control. Now, let me read this little quote from William Hendrickson. I think that it sums it up for us. During this entire period, that is, from the first coming of the Lord Jesus right through to the second, the devil is prevented from causing the nations, the world in general, to destroy the church as a mighty missionary institution. By means of the preaching of the word as applied by the Holy Spirit, the elect from all parts of the world are brought from darkness to light. In that sense, the church conquers the nations, and the nations do not conquer the church. You see, if the devil had his way, we wouldn't be here tonight. There wouldn't be a Christian church in the land. He would set up his emissaries, his ambassadors, to destroy the church. But it is the grace of God restraining the wicked one and restraining wicked men and angels that the church of the Lord Jesus exists and advances. And now, I know that there are ups and downs in the history of the church, and we might feel tonight that we're not living in a time of gospel advance. But we're here, and we're a witness for the Lord, and His Word is with us. And so in that way, we are enjoying the reign of Christ today. We're not waiting for a temporary reign. It is now. 
And so this now millennial, sometimes called amillennial, is a position uh, that really fits into the whole scheme of things. And thirdly, it does justice to Scripture's statement of a single return of the Lord, encompassing the judgment of the wicked and the gathering of the saints. Well, I don't need to say too much more on that. We've really looked at that from a number of angles already. And uh, if the Lord is reigning now, if we're in the uh, millennium period now, then there's only one coming to expect. And that's the end of the world, the great harvest of the world, when the Lord will come to destroy the wicked and gather his saints home. Fourthly, it is not cumbered with explaining the many difficulties of a literal 1,000-year reign. Let me ask you a question tonight. Has anyone ever laid out step by step exactly what will happen in a literal millennium? I have great difficulty finding that. Now, I'm not saying there's not somebody somewhere has done some work on this and tried to come up with a scheme that looks at least feasible, but I've never been able to find it. And I have talked to people who have uh, this particular position, and I've, I've asked them, could you please tell me what this millennium would accomplish? And do you know what I get always? Here's the succinct answer of a, of a, of a premillennialist who believes in a literal 1,000-year reign. I say, what's it for? The glory of God. Well, of course. We're all interested in the glory of God. But what will it accomplish to promote the glory of God? What's its purpose? What are its parts and participants? People talk about a millennium where there's going to be tame animals, and there's going to be babies born, and these babies are born. Are they born converted, or are they born with a sinful nature? And then they say there's going to be conversions during that time. So that means if people are converted, they're also sinners. And if we read Revelation 20 on a consistent basis, you will find that the battle of Armageddon is after the millennium or at the close of the millennium. And where do all these people come from that are in the war of the battle of Armageddon? Thousands of them. They exist during the millennial period. So I find that this raises more questions than I can find answers. But if we understand that Revelation 20 and this reference to a thousand years is symbolic and applies to a lengthy period of time rather than a literal 1,000 years, then I'm not brought to a position where I have to answer all of those questions. I see that it's very fitting at the close of the age that there will be one coming of the Lord, and there will be the instant entrance into an eternal state. Now, we learned that in Matthew 24. We learned that in Matthew 13. We learned that in 2 Thessalonians 1. And I suggest that that is a feasible, wise, safe, unencumbered. It's not cumbersome. It's not clumsy. It doesn't open up a whole can of worms of questions. It closes the subject. It harmonizes what we have. Then fifthly, this now millennial position answers the anomalies we find in this world, this wheat and tares growing together. And you may have a Christian home, and your neighbors, they might be tares. And they have parties, and they drink, and they do drugs. 
And they live for the world, and they live for sin. That's the world we live in. Wheat in the midst of tares. And it brings heartache and mayhem and wars and conflicts. And the world will be like that until the day the Lord returns. The Lord says that there will be wars and rumors of wars. And we know in the 20 centuries since the Lord was on the earth that this world has never had a century without war. Why? Because there are the tares in this world, the wicked. And it is God's permissive will that they live on the earth. But in the midst of that, the Lord is building his church. And while those husbandmen, they were rubbing their hands, let's go and get those tares and root them out. But the master said, no, let both grow together. Why? Did you notice why in Matthew 13? Did you notice why? The Lord said to them that <coughs> they were to be <coughs> left together. Verse 29. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. That's the reason why the tares are left. And that's why, the, why God doesn't judge this world today as instantly as some of us would think. Because he's still gathering together his church and building his church in the world. 2 Timothy 3.13, we are told that in the latter days, evil men will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That fits into this. But the Lord's reigning, and he permits the evil, but he controls it because he's ruling over his church. He's not going to allow anything to harm his church. Then number six, it agrees with our understandings of satanic workings in this world. Uh, we think of Job's experience in the Old Testament. And when Satan came and he had to ask permission, permission to attack Job. Now that means God's controlling. The devil can't do what he likes. And when the Satan is bound and Christ is reigning over the nations, the devil can't do what he likes. Now he's not dead. He's restrained. And in Ephesians 6, we are told about the Christian must fortify himself with armor against the, the, the wicked one. And so he is there, he's present. But praise God, he's not victorious. One of the great joys of reading the book of Revelation is that you find every time the devil goes to work, he can only do what's given to him. I'd like you to note this with me in Revelation 13, verse 5. Now, Revelation 13, uh, it's the chapter of the beast. It's the chapter of the, the great enemy of the church. But I want you to notice it says in verse 5, And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. That's God giving to the devil permission to do certain things. Because they're controlling and in verse 7 it says again, And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now that would be at the end of time whenever Satan will be loosed for a little season. And there will be the vast worldwide apostasy and tribulation. But even then, Satan is restrained and can only do exactly as the Lord permits him.
Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. And today we're teaching on the millennium. If you would like CDs or messages or the notes that are available for these messages on the second coming of our Lord, you can go to our website, www.cloverdealfpc.ca. And there you have access to all the information, phone number and archive sermons, and the notes that we are recommending. So stay tuned with us now for part two. Number seven. I'm going through this very quickly tonight. I realize that this is by no means exhaustive or, uh, well, I hope you don't find it exhaustive, uh, exhausting. And uh, tonight we're just really looking at some of the, of the key points that favor this A or now millennial position. So we move to number seven. It lends no grounds to dispensationalism. You see, dispensationalism is not considered an orthodox manner of interpreting the Bible. It was a, a very phony, false way of carving up the Bible into six, seven different categories and say God dealt with different people in different ways. They all failed, and uh, now we move on to the next one. And so dispensationalism is a failure. Dispensationalism is not agreeable to proper interpretation of the Bible. And of course, the view we're looking at here that Christ is reigning in his church, that there will be no literal millennium, that's totally against dispensationalism. It gives no grounds to it. It gives no place for it. Because in the dispensational view, uh, they say, well, Christ is going to come either pre-trib, post-trib, for his church, then return with his church, and all kinds of positions are presented. Well, the now millennial position gives no place whatsoever to dispensationalism. And I'm happy with that, because dispensationalism has done more harm in evangelical churches than many other issues, and has skewed many people's thinking on how to understand the Bible. Number eight, it's most agreeable to the clearest passages of Scripture. Now, what would I call the clearest passages of Scripture? Not every Bible verse gives the same light on the subject. Well, Matthew 24, and as we read through that in previous weeks, we notice there is no reference to a thousand years, no reference to a temporary kingdom on earth, with a golden age, uh, a special arrangement. We saw none of that in Luke 17, Luke 21. We saw none of that in Matthew 13, this passage here. And as I challenged, I said, you can go through the Bible. And outside of the book of Revelation, indeed outside of chapter 20 in Revelation, you will not find a passage that deals with the Lord's return linked to a thousand-year period of time. It's not there. Now, what people have done, they have started with Revelation 20. They've got into this literal 1,000 years mindset, and they went through the Bible looking for it. And of course, people have a great ability of reading into the Bible things that are not even there. That's what we call eisegesis, not exegesis. That's putting into or, or, or seeking to squeeze into the Bible in areas things that were never intended. Number nine, there is nothing that this position leaves out of the supernatural event of the Lord's return that is fundamental to salvation and the Lord's glory. Nothing. 
The world's going to end. The wicked are going to be punished. The saints will be gathered. There will be a resurrection day. There will be a judgment day when God will judge between the righteous and the wicked. It will be one single event. It will be one day. And the Lord will instantly determine the affairs of men on the day of his return. And so the righteous will shine with their Father in the kingdom of heaven. The wicked will be cast out. And it leaves nothing out of the supernatural, final, infinite work of the Lord in his church. And in the midst of this, the church is well cared for. These wheat growing in the field, nothing is allowed that is detrimental to the wheat. And the Lord says, let both grow together, lest, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. And the Lord's eyes are upon his people. The Lord's mind is upon his church. And he's going to gather his church home. And not one will be left. As to not having a literal 1,000-year millennium, what will a Christian lose by going straight into the presence of his Father in glory and not having a literal earthly reign? What will he lose? Nothing. In fact, we would say to be in the presence of God is the final, ultimate, eternal state of the Christian. And the sooner we're there, the better. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so we give up nothing. Then number 10. This position gives paramount place to the power of the gospel as it interprets passages of triumph in the Old and New Testament to the present age of preaching the gospel. Now, what I mean by this is simply that some people will go to books like Isaiah chapter 11, chapter 65, and they will read about the lion lying down with the lamb, and they will say, that's the golden age. That's the thousand-year millennial reign. And that's going to be a wonderful time when, when things will be vastly changed. But, again, that is language that is applied to the advance of the gospel in the world. And missionaries who have gone to heathen nations, to men who were living like beasts and carnal brutes, but they heard the gospel message and they were brought to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Men who left the shores of England, Scotland, Wales, went to the ends of the earth, and they saw heathen tribes transformed. Mr. Patton, who went to the New Hebrides north of Australia, he said that after his time as a missionary, that the communion service was better kept among the tribal people that he worked with than in his native home of Scotland where the gospel had raged for many years. And surely if we take those passages in Isaiah that relate to the power of gospel conversions, multitudes of them, and apply them to what the gospel can do in the hearts of men, that it gives great glory to the Lord Jesus. And what we read in Revelation 6 of the Lord Jesus going forth in his white horse, conquering and to conquer, that's now. He's going forth. He's going from nation to nation, from tribe to tribe, to people to people. 
And he's winning their hearts and he's calling them out of darkness and he's going to build his church and there will be on that day out of every tribe, nation, and people the glorious redeemed of the Lord. And that's what the Lord is doing now because he's reigning now in his power through his church. And he's reigning in your heart if you're a Christian. And he keeps you from the world and he gives you grace to press on. And he promises to keep us until the end because he's reigning. He's reigning in his people. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, I realize that this has been a, a rather cursory, uh, some might say rushed presentation of this position. But I want you to give it some thought. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands. How many now millennials do we have in the meeting? I'm not going to do that. But I want you to give this some thought, and I have sought to provide notes that you can go back over these verses and read them and reread them, consider them, uh, and at least give this position some consideration and time as a safe and the simplest of all positions concerning the millennium. Uh, you know how it's divided up, pre-mill, post-mill, then a-mill or now-mill. And this is the, the simplest, and I believe the most Christ-exalting, uh, God-honoring position that will enable us to look at the passages of God's Word and interpret them accordingly. So tonight, take this to heart and rejoice. The Lord is reigning now. And as we grasp this, it will help our prayer lives to get down on your knees and say, Lord, you're reigning in your church now. These promises and these uh, pictures that we have of Satan bound and the church advancing, Lord, do it now as you've promised. Do it in Cloverdale today. We're not waiting on for some end time experience. Lord, you're reigning now in your church. Come and show your power. And so this is compatible and harmonizes with our daily life and witness of the gospel. And may we be moved to do so. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak Today. It is a great privilege to bring the message of God's Word to you. And I hope you've been encouraged, that you've been strengthened as we look into this whole subject of the millennium. Christ reigning in the world and reigning in his church now. He is presently the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's not sitting on hold or held back from his crown or his glory. He is now reigning, and he's reigning over his church, and he's reigning in his church. And with all the people of God who make up that visible body, the Lord is the head, active, governing, leading, fulfilling the offices of prophet to teach, priest to pray, and king to govern. And so this is a glorious truth and doctrine that our Lord Jesus is now ruling and reigning in his church. Now, of course, when he comes again, he will destroy his enemies. And those who set him themselves against the kingdoms of Christ and those ungodly nations that rise up against him, he shall put down. What a glorious day that will be 
when the Lord comes to rule and reign visibly. But praise God for the missionary, for the preacher, for the Christian. In every place in the world, Christ is reigning. He's building his church. He is calling out a people for his name, and he's adding to the church such as should be saved. So stay tuned with us as we come now to the closing announcements, and I trust that you will be in touch even to request CDs and so on of these messages. Thank you again for listening to Let the Bible Speak Today. Again, for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. For some time, I want to share with you that I have gospel literature available, and these are suitable for giving to family, friends, neighbors, to witness, to share the gospel. The one I have in my hand right now is based on John chapter 10, where the Lord Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. And it's a simple one-page, uh, well, four parts to it, front, two pages in the middle, one at the back. And it is a short little tract that will get the gospel out. And people can scan the QR code and come right into our radio broadcast on that text, John 10:11, where the Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now, I'd like to encourage you to give out these gospel tracts, and we will provide them to you, and we will send them to your address. Uh, we'll be delighted to give it to you. Now, we will have in the front of it here, Let the Bible Speak Canada. We have the Bible reading on the front page, and then in the center, we have a picture of the good shepherd caring for the sheep, and the message itself. It will be an encouragement and a guide to those that need to know the Lord. And I would ask you to send for this. Just write us, email, give me a call, and we'll be delighted to get the gospel out in Canada. That's our burden, reaching souls with the gospel. And you can be a part of that. Take down the address now. It's coming up in the closing announcements. 
You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.